Welcome to the Choate Family Office podcast series. On this show, we explore important topics related to investing, managing risk, and sustaining long-term wealth across generations. We believe that all investors can learn from the ways that successful families manage their wealth. This is Henry Dormitzer, and I'm a Senior Portfolio Manager at Choate Investment Advisors. Today, we'll be talking about municipal bonds with Appleton Partners. Appleton is a 100% employee-owned company founded in 1986 that manages $11.4 billion in assets. $10.5 billion of those assets are bonds, and $9.6 billion of those assets are municipal bonds. We'll be talking today with Anson Clow and Nate Harris. Anson's got 26 years of experience in the municipal bond market. At Appleton, he has oversight responsibility for portfolio management, trading, and research. He's the co-head of fixed income investments. He started his career at Scudder Kemper Investments in municipal bonds and has been doing it ever since. Nate Harris started his career with Standish at Mellon Asset Management. He's a past president of the Boston Municipal Analyst Forum, and he's Appleton's co-director of municipal research. Nate and Anson, I'm so happy to have you with us. Thanks, Henry. We're happy to be here today. Yes, thank you, Henry. Excited to be here. So we're going to start with a broad discussion about what is a municipal bond, who issues it, and what makes it different than corporate bonds. I think that's a topic that people are going to find really interesting, and we talk about it in generalities often. So let's get into some of the details. I wanted to start asking you, Nate, who issues municipal bonds? Thanks, Henry. And primarily, the, the municipal market represents states, local governments, and in that we would include counties, cities, towns, school districts. It also includes municipal agencies, those that provide water, sewer, public power. Um, in addition, there are providers of essential service. So airports, highways, public transportation, all entities that are eligible to issue within the municipal bond market. We'd also point out that certain nonprofits are eligible to access the municipal market, and those would include hospitals, higher education, and even some foundations. All these issuers that I just named preside the bulk of the municipal market and represent the majority of taxes and bonds outstanding. We'd be remiss if we didn't also point out that in some limited cases, some entities that are for-profit actually can issue municipal bonds. This would include corporations and if the underlying project meets certain public benefit thresholds. But those type of instances are, are much limited and typically or outside of what a typical municipal bond portfolio would include. So I think that's interesting. And I'd point out that that means that a municipal bond could be issued by Harvard University, or maybe the parent entity of Mass General Hospital, or the state of Vermont. It could run the, the, a wide range, or the, 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 toll, the toll authority, the, the, the Massachusetts Turnpike Authority. So I started my introduction, Nate, by saying that municipal bonds are fundamentally different than corporate bonds. And I wondered if you could talk us through why that's true. So the difference between a municipality and a corporation is really why a municipality is, is in existence versus the goals of an actual corporation. A municipality is a perpetual entity. It needs to be a concern as the demand for essential services continues throughout any different type of scenario. And I think that kind of is important in, in the current environment um, with you know an economic downturn and stay-at-home orders. There's still a demand for essential government services such as transportation, uh, education, social services, healthcare, safety. And this essentiality also breeds resiliency. So we've seen even during difficult economic conditions, municipality finds support from its stakeholders. Those stakeholders being the, the citizens, employees, bondholders, and even higher levels of government. Now on a corporation's side, Certainly, they aim to be a going concern, but there are certain instances where they have a much weaker control over their outside 
uh, influences. And certainly there are, now the difference would be for a corporation is certainly they aim to be a going concern, but their ability to you know, raise revenue, adjust their expenditures, keep their business going, can be significantly influenced by outside factors that is out of control. And ultimately there is the potential for uh, stopping of business and potential liquidation. That cannot happen in a municipality. The municipality needs to be a going concern and provide those central services throughout. I think that last point you made is, is really critical, Nate, that companies can stop, they can become insolvent and they can go away. And the consequence of a company going away, I guess, is that the equity, the people who own the company, just lose their equity and it shuts down and goes away. But a state government can't go away. There's no equity ownership of a state government. It's there to be there forever and to support support the operations of the of the state. And, and similarly, I bet you'd tell us that in bank in bankruptcy, companies often have to pay off all their debts, and there's no bankruptcy for state governments. Talk to us a little bit about how governments or municipalities, I should say, because not all municipal bonds are government issued, how municipalities pledge money to repay debt? So at a very high level, we can actually split the municipal market into two broad categories when it comes to pledges or how they repay their municipal bonds. And that would be general obligations or revenue bonds. For a general obligation, typically these are issued by a state or a local government. And in a high, very high level, it, an obligation or a promise to repay those bonds. Now, we can definitely get into um, deeper provisions of that security. And oftentimes, the, the revenues that are backing a GO are actually pledged. But it typically consists of, at the state level, it would be income taxes or sales taxes or corporation taxes. And on the local level, generally speaking, it's property taxes. But a general obligation is a pledge of that entity to do whatever it needs to make sure that it's honoring its debt obligations. On the revenue side, it's much more specific in that an issuer such as a toll road or an airport is dedicating specific revenue sources to the repayment of the bonds. For a toll road, it would be exactly what you would think. It's the revenues that are by that entity. In other words, fares collected by uh, vehicles traveling on the, the road. And in an airport, it would be fees received from airlines, fees paid by passengers, as well in some cases, uh, revenues or fees that are earned by concessions within the gates and in the terminals. But as far as looking at the security provisions, it's very straightforward for a revenue bond of what is the revenue source and how is that going to be used to, to repay the, the debt obligation. So Nate, let me, let me put you on the spot on this a little bit. Give, give me yeah. an example of some general obligation bond issuers. Absolutely. So at the state level, it would be, you know, state of Massachusetts issues general obligation bonds. And for the state of Massachusetts, they have not exactly pointed out what tax revenues are pledged to bondholders, but they're looking at the entire basket of the state's income tax, sales tax, and other fees that they collect. At the local level, it would be within Massachusetts, it would be the city of Boston. And they've pledged in that instance, although it's a general obligation and they've pledged to do whatever it takes, they are also specifically pledged the property tax revenues that they levy on their uh, residents and commercial businesses within the city's boundaries. Right. So the Commonwealth has lots of different revenue sources, and they pledge all. They they pledge to use some of all of that to pay back their debt. And 
And Boston has fewer, but property taxes is their biggest one, and they use those to pay back their debt. Exactly. And they and within Boston, although that's specifically pledged, and this goes for other local governments, they also have the ability to use whatever else is available to make sure that they honor their obligation. So then, so it's so a pretty broad base. No, that's great. And so let's talk about a revenue bond and how that's different. Like, pick a revenue bond issuer that 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 we could call out in this discussion. Sure. And for a good example, and and you mentioned it earlier. Uh, Massachusetts Turnpike, the Massachusetts Highway System has revenue bonds outstanding. And the, the rev back behind that is the tolls that, as of now, are collected electronically, but it's the tolls that are collected on each passenger commercial vehicle that travels along that uh, turnpike day in and day out. So those revenues are collected by the authority. Um, they're used to pay expenses, but they're also dedicated, in most instances, first to pay off their municipal bonds. Got it. So I'm going to ask you a question that I may not even know the answer to, and you got to make sure I'm right on this. But when a when when Harvard borrows money, or when a har- when a hospital borrows money, are those general obligations of the the hospital system or a general obligation of the college? That's a that's a tricky question, but a good question, Henry. Generally, for higher education, although they often get lumped within revenue bonds, you we would actually categorize that as a general obligation because in Harvard University's instances, they are not specifically just pledging tuition or just pledging fees they they receive in their room and board. They they have guaranteed their bonds by offering whatever available resources are to make good on their debt payments. In a healthcare situation, that would be more specific because it's the revenues of providing healthcare services to patients. So that's great, Nate. We just covered one big way that municipal bonds are unique. They're just different than corporate bonds. The nature of the pledge, the nature of the borrower is fundamentally, existentially, you could say, different than a corporation. But there's another major way that municipal bonds are different than corporate bonds. And I'm going to ask Anson to talk to us about tax exemption, because that's just a a big difference. Sure, Henry. Tax exemption is a big thing for municipal bonds. It's a very important facet of what makes municipal bonds so attractive to investors. Specifically, municipal debt is tax exempt at the federal level and income earned on municipal bonds are tax exempt within the states those bonds are issued. For example, the state of Massachusetts GO bond income earned on that particular bond would be state tax exempt for those residents in the state of Massachusetts. Investors outside the Massachusetts would be paying income tax on those bonds if they reside in a state that does have an income tax. Conversely, if you buy a Texas GO bond and you're a state of Massachusetts resident, you would not you would pay income tax on the income earned on that Texas bond. If so so let me just clarify because I think I got it, but if a Massachusetts resident buys a Texas bond, the Massachusetts resident doesn't pay federal income tax on the income, but does pay Massachusetts income tax on the income. Absolutely, spot on. And I got another one for you to follow up because what you said earlier was income on the bonds is exempt from taxation, at least from federal taxation and maybe from state taxation. What about capital gains? So I buy a bond at a low price and I sell it at a high price. Is that exempt? No, that's not. That's actually going to be subject to the federal capital gains rules as well as your any specific capital gains rules within your state. So then I would imagine that if I'm an investor and I buy a muni bond and I don't have to pay federal income tax on it, and my federal income tax is something like 35%, somewhere around there, that I'd be willing to 
earn less on a municipal bond than I would want to earn on a corporate bond because I, I don't have to pay taxes on the income. Absolutely. So municipalities, by having that benefit of tax exemption, technically are subject to lower borrowing costs. And that's the attraction for municipalities to be borrowing in the municipal universe. So because investors are willing to take a lower yield, a lower cost to invest in the municipal universe. So their borrowing costs are much lower in the tax exempt universe. So a, a term that we often hear traders in the municipal bond space talk about is the ratio. And I think what they mean by that, but you can tell us is they, they're talking about what's the ratio of the interest rate earned on municipals to the interest rate earned on other taxable bonds. Can you tell us what this ratio means? Absolutely. So when we look from an investment standpoint, we look at what the actual yield on a particular bond is relative to a benchmark. In this case, a great benchmark is the U.S. Treasury yield. And so quite often we'll look at our investment universe based on the AAA yield curve and how that yield curve is pricing relative to comparable treasuries. So we will take the AAA municipal yield curve in 10 years, say, and divide it by the 10-year treasury. And that provides a ratio of how those valuations are relative to those two between those two markets. Historically, you've had a 10-year AAA municipal, roughly 86% of the 10-year treasury. Because of the tax exemption that we talked about earlier, you would expect that the 10-year AAA muni would be lower than the taxable 10-year treasury. That discount between the 10-year AAA muni and the 10-year treasury reflects the tax advantage nature of the municipal debt and the investor's willingness to take on a lower yield because of the overall tax exemption. And based upon their marginal tax rate, it's important to realize that municipals aren't necessarily for everybody. They tend to be attractive investments for those in higher tax brackets, say the 25 to 37% range historically has been a very attractive part of the investor universe for municipal bonds. Oh, I get it. I'm gonna interrupt you, but it just light dawns. Um, if I can buy a muni, and get 85% of the income that I'd get by buying a taxable, that's a 15% less interest that I'm getting. And that makes sense if I pay 15% or more of my income as taxes. <laughs> but if I pay less than 15% of my income as taxes, then I'd rather buy a taxable bond. And in its purest sense, yes, Henry, that's the analysis. All right, we are gonna introduce some complication to that in our coming discussion about what happens in the marketplace in reality. But let's put a bookmark in that for it and come back to it later. And maybe you could talk to us then about who buys municipal bonds because probably institutions that don't pay taxes don't wanna buy tax-free bonds. So who does? Exactly, municipal bonds are good investments for individuals that are paying taxes. They're good investments for institutional buyers like banks and insurance companies that are also tax paying entities. But endowments, pensions and foundations, et cetera, would not be investing in the municipal bond universe on the tax exempt basis. The lion's share of your investors in municipal bonds right now are individual investors, whether they're doing that directly through separately managed accounts or if they're doing it indirectly through mutual funds. Mutual funds tend to be a very large part of the municipal universe. I guess so mutual funds are a big part of the municipal bond universe because a lot of private investors buy mutual funds. Why are banks 
why are other in what well, so i think banks sometimes buy and maybe insurance companies sometimes buy why do they buy municipal bonds they buy it for as a risk diversifying asset and they also have the ability to write off the tax exempt income that they are receiving and so they are in a position as a taxable entity that they can benefit up to a specific amount from that municipal bond income and its tax exempt nature good well that that was a fulsome discussion of the basic concepts around municipal bonds um, who buys them who sells them how money's pledged, how they're not the same as corporations, and how we talk about ratios as a way of thinking about their relative value to bonds that you pay taxes on. And when we talked about ratios, I mentioned that we'd be coming back to talk about times that that can get disrupted in ways that we don't expect. And that's going to be the topic of our next podcast, which is how did the COVID crisis really disrupt the bond market in general and the municipal bond market in specific and create some challenging trading uh, conditions and some some interesting credit considerations. So tune in next time because that's gonna be our discussion then. All right, Nate, Anson, thank you very much for talking to us about municipal bonds. I love the topic and, and maybe we'll get to do it some more. Yeah, thanks for having us, Henry. Thank you again for listening. For more information about Choate Investment Advisors, please visit www.choatea.com. You can also listen to more episodes in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The information provided in this recording is for informational purposes only. While Choate Investment Advisors makes every attempt to present accurate information, the information on this recording may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances, and it may become outdated over time. The views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions only and should not be construed as financial advice for your given situation. Moreover, the views expressed by Appleton Partners are not necessarily endorsed by Choate Investment Advisors, and Choate Investment Advisors may decide to select investments on a different basis at any time and without prior notice. Finally, as everyone should know, past performance is not a guarantee of future performance.